this evening, we learn from, we're reminded from Acts chapter 19 that the gospel is the power which turned things upside down. It turns things upside down. You'll remember in Acts chapter 17, as the church was planted at Thessalonica, that the gospel stirred up some of the evil men who tried to stop Paul and Silas. And it became evident, according to Acts 17 and verse 6, that these evangelists were accused of turning the world upside down with the doctrine they were sharing. That is the message of salvation in Christ. And so by the time of chapter 19, verses 23 to 41, when Paul stopped in Ephesus on his third missionary journey, uh, the city was evangelized in that whole area. But that's not to say that everyone was happy about it. And we're going to look at that even this evening. If you'll make your way to Acts chapter 19, verses 23 through 41, reading the narrative, four primary points about the gospel, the power of the gospel. And folks, you don't have any power, and I don't have any power in myself. It's only in, as we sang, his word communicated will change whoever receives it. It'll change me, it'll change you. It did do that, and it continues to do that. Verse 23 of Acts chapter 19. And at the same time, there arose no small stir about that way. Now, they were in Ephesus, in verse 24, for a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines, or idols, for Diana brought no small gain unto the craftsmen. In other words, he made them rich whom he called together with the workmen of like occupation and said, Sirs, you know that by this craft we have our wealth. Moreover, you see and hear that not alone at Ephesus, but almost throughout all Asia, this Paul hath persuaded and turned away many people, saying that there are no gods which are made with hands, so that not only this our craft is in danger to be set at naught, but also... And you you can hear the tears in his voice. The temple of the great goddess Diana should be despised. And her magnificence should be destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worships. And when they heard these things, they were full of wrath and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. And the whole city was filled with confusion, having caught Gaius and Aristarchus, men of Macedonia, Paul's companions in travel. They rushed with one accord into the theater. And when Paul would have entered in unto the people, the disciples permitted him not. And certain of the chief of Asia, who were his friends, sent unto him, beseeching him that he would not venture into the theater. Some therefore cried one thing, and some another. For the assembly was in confusion, and the greater part knew not for what reason they were even come together. And they drew Alexander out of the multitude, the Jews putting him forward. And Alexander beckoned with the hand and would have made his defense unto the people. And when they knew that he was a Jew, all with one voice for about the space of two hours cried out, great is Diana of the Ephesians. Just thousands of times in two hours they said that seemingly. And when the town clerk had quieted the people, he said, you men of Ephesus, 
What man is there that knoweth not that the city of the Ephesians is a worshiper of the great goddess Diana and of the image which fell down from Jupiter? Seeing then that these things cannot be spoken against, you ought to be quiet and to do nothing rashly. For you have brought here these men who are neither robbers of temples nor yet blasphemers of your goddess. Wherefore, if Demetrius and the craftsmen who are with him have a matter against any man, the law is open and there are deputies. Let them accuse one another. But if you inquire anything concerning other matters, it shall be determined in a lawful assembly. For we're in danger to be called in question for this day's uproar, there being no cause for which we may give an account of this concourse or this, uh, this uh, chaotic assembly. And when he had thus spoken, he dismissed the assembly. <clears throat> the gospel antagonizes the enemy. And as you know, Satan attacks primarily as a deceiver, but in this case, he attacked as a destroyer. In fact, as you know, 1 Peter 5, 8, if he can't get you on the blind side and deceive you, he's going to come on a frontal attack and attack you. And this is really what Paul meant in 1 Corinthians 15, 52, that he fought with beasts at Ephesus. He fought with wild animals at Ephesus. Of course, uh, uh, that is uh, the imagery of those who would want to tear him apart. We'll learn about it in Philippians chapter 3 when Satan's agents are referred to as dogs, evildoers, and uh, mutilators. And so he will go after you that way as well. He wants to silence the gospel in your life and in my life. The last thing the enemy wants in my life is that Christ would be proclaimed, that we would make him known. Certainly he doesn't want that. And to the degree that he can influence you, not being able to drag you to hell being a believer, but certainly cause you, want you to be ineffective and uh, dismiss your calling in making Christ know. So what was Paul going to do? Well, he, he was powerful um, in that he presented the truth of the gospel. In fact, he told the Romans in chapter 1 and verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It, the gospel, is the power of God. It's God's power unto resulting in salvation to anyone and everyone who believes. Now, folks, think about that. We have the very same gospel. We understand the gospel. Man is depraved. He is hopelessly lost. He cannot help himself. He can't in any way move his heart to appease God in any way, shape, or form. And we share that there is one who did satisfy the righteous demands of the, of the law. God himself who became man and was clothed in humanity, the Lord Jesus, lived a perfect life, though tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin. Belief in him, in what he has done, receiving him, and your life is changed eternally. What power that is. You didn't know me. Most of it, I don't know if anybody here knew me any more than I knew you. But when I was lost, you did not want to be around me. Um, there was a lot of debauchery present. Why? I was spiritually dead. I was blind. 
I didn't have any fear of God before my eyes. I didn't even know to have a fear of God before my eyes. And living for self until the gospel turned me upside down, inside out, utterly changed me. I guess in about every way one can be changed, uh, at least spiritually, philosophically, uh, how I approach life. Um, And it did that to you as well. So let me offer four ways in this text that the, the gospel is the power to turn things upside down. First of all, the gospel turned their wealth upside down. Notice it says in verse 23, it caused, the gospel caused no small stir. That it means, means it was an uproar. It caused a mob mentality. I read years ago and I wrote it down. I don't know the source precisely, but it was, it was credited to Benjamin Franklin who described a mob, a mob as a monster with many heads and no brains. <laughs> That's a good way to describe a mob. All kinds of heads, all kinds of speaking uh, mouths, but not a brain among them or they wouldn't uh, be like that. And so it was a mob that was coming after the Apostle Paul. And why, in verses 23 to 25, why were they so upset? Because he was going to disrupt the money-making capacity, capability of those who were making these idols and and selling them uh, so that people would buy them and revere them. Now, Jeremiah, were you born when your parents lived in Kanye Day? And isn't that where the, uh, is the idol, isn't that where all the idol shops are to Francis of Assisi? Am I remembering all this correctly? Brian, have you been there? I've been there. Uh, I've been, it is a village, not a large village uh, by any stretch of imagination. Chago, have you been there? Okay, a lot of you all have, and I've been there. It is as if it were Ephesus in modern day. You go to the city square, and it is one market after another with every kind of artifact you can imagine devoted to the saint, that is, the the man who was sainted by the Catholic Church, Francis of Assisi. And they want you to buy, and I mean, folks, people are serious about this. And people are getting rich, because after all, wouldn't you want the saint in your car driving down the road? Maybe a bobblehead. Maybe you can get one of those. (laughs) Now, I'm being sacrilegious because it is sacrilegious in the whole concept. And so, these folks, these money brokers, were wanting uh, them to run out of town because it was going to dry up their source of income. It very well could have been. Maybe it was, because it was years later when Paul wrote to... um, the pastor Timothy, while he was pastoring the church at Ephesus, the very same location in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Maybe Paul was remembering this day when he he wrote to them in 1 Timothy 6.10, for the love of money is the root of all evil, every type of evil, which while some have coveted after, they have erred from the faith, pierced themselves through, taken an arrow and pierced their souls with many sorrows. And so it was the life transforming the power of the gospel which caused a radical change 
in the hearts of people that that we're no longer going to the market to buy the artifacts, if you will. That's not even the right word. It's the idols, the man-made idols of the goddess Diana. It turned their wealth upside down. Secondly, we see in verses 26 through 28, the gospel turned their worship upside down. Now, apparently, they didn't see, uh, Brother Larry, the self-contradiction here in their position. For if they truly believed that the great goddess Diana was really great, and in fact, she was divine, they wouldn't have to worry about her being dethroned. You know how often I worry uh, and am concerned that the true and living God is no longer going to be the true and living God? (laughs) does not even come to my mind unless I'm presenting the absurdity of it. God can't not be God. And they don't see the self-contradiction that we have to protect the all-powerful one. What? Of course not. God is big enough to take care of things. And what's more, the Lord doesn't need me for his glory. He's going to be glorious with or without me. The question is, will I get in <laughs> on, uh, on that blessing? Will I enter into abundant living in Christ by making him known? So the gospel greatly affected their worship. You know, it's similar to what Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 50 and verse 38. They are mad over their idols. Makes you crazy because there's no power in it and yet everyone believes something, and this is what I've always been taught, therefore uh, it must be, there must be something to it, even though it doesn't mean anything to me. Now why does the gospel cause false worship to be turned upside down? Because it confronts the fallacy of false religion, it leaves the person under the weight of judgment because there's no place to go with sin, And it exposes the emptiness of what that philosophy, that religion, proposes to offer, yet it cannot. It's only the gospel. Either we believe this or we don't. It's only the gospel of Christ, which is the power of God unto salvation. So why in the world would we not share that? Why wouldn't we make Christ known since we believe It is the only cure for the deadly virus of sin which has affected everyone's soul and spirit. Certainly, we would want to do that. So the sanctifying effect of the gospel is just the opposite of religion. Those who enter into a personal relationship with the Lord are filled with love, joy, peace. Those who follow Baal and there's having no power and no fulfillment, cut themselves trying to get his attention, i.e. see Elijah in 1 Kings. There's an infinity of difference between the two. Either it's desperate emptiness or full to overflowing. Ever had a glory fit? <laughs> Nothing better than a good glory fit, <laughs> especially when you don't see it coming. The presence of the Lord just flowing through your life to the degree that if you don't let it out, you're going to hurt yourself. (laughs) 
Making Christ known. Because you know of the power of the gospel to totally turn religion on its head. And you enter into a relationship with the true and living God. It happened here in Ephesus. It can happen in South Kansas City this year. Thirdly, the gospel turned their wisdom upside down. Verses 29 to 34. The text tells us that in this sophisticated city, and certainly Ephesus was that, they thought, there was confusion. They didn't know what to think. They didn't know what to do. And you know, in our country, full of elitists and the intelligentsia and the educated and uh, the uh, uh, creator of the atomic um, destructive power of the atomic explosion and, and, and nuclear energy, all of which in and of itself, you know, we can argue the, 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 the value of that. Kind of the, the point is, there's a lot of collective knowledge and know-how in 21st century and 20th and 21st century America, yet that wisdom is upside down. Think about this. It's not called the murder of innocent babies by our culture. It's called a woman's choice. You see how the wisdom is upside down and backwards? It's not called perversion. It's called gay rights. We're happy about these rights. It's not called the sin of drunkenness. It's a disease. Do you see the subtleness? The subtlety of what man identifies as one thing, the gospel and the word of God turn it upside down. The power of the Lord. Now, our country is moving more and more toward, and this, this message will not will not do anything to help us in this. More and more to protecting the citizens from militant fanatics like you because you hired me to say these things. It's just like it was in Ephesus. Just like it was. The gospel, when the gospel is present in a culture, the culture either has to surrender or push back and push back aggressively. And they were doing just that. For two hours in a theater, the whole town, great is Diana of the Ephesians. Just how many times can you say that in two hours? It took me 10 seconds to do the math. A lot of times. Uh, The place was in confusion. The masses, notice in verse 32, they didn't even know why they were meeting. (laughs) I saw something was happening down, uh, down to the city square. Thought we'd go along. Okay, let's join in. What? Your wisdom is not established in truth unless it's in gospel truth. Fourthly, finally, verses 35 to 41, the gospel turned their world upside down. And that's precisely what chapter 17 and verse 6 says. Basically, everything in Ephesus was coming apart of the seams due to the gospel being present and changing lives. Not just being present, but lives being changed. I no longer hate you, 
because you have hurt me, but I have a heart of forgiveness because I know how much I've been forgiven. I no longer want to see you judged uh, uh, and hurt. I want to see you forgiven and given abundant life. I mean, that is a radical change which man cannot do for himself. The gospel turns the person upside down. Think about what religion does in our day. The most vicious wars, the most hot wars in our, in our lifetimes uh, have been primarily because of religion. It causes hostility, but Jesus brings peace. Go figure. He brings peace, and the world doesn't want that. The situation in Ephesus was so severe that the local town official, in a pragmatic way, had to warn the people, say, first of all, it doesn't matter that they say things about the great goddess Diana. We all know that she is almighty. But you're going to get us in trouble with Rome if you keep on doing that. And Paul did not spend his time desecrating he, he, he didn't spend his time cursing the darkness, saying down with Diana of the Ephesians. He didn't spend his time doing that. He spent his time lifting up the glory of Christ. You see, folks, our battle is not against flesh and blood. That's not the primary, that's not the battle at all. Our battle uh, is not against political persuasions. It's not against socioeconomic change or stability, or those kinds. That's not where the, the battle, that's just, that's just shooing flies away. The battle is with the heart of depraved man in our culture. That really is our calling because it doesn't matter what else happens politically, philosophically, culturally, economically, militarily, geopolitical issues. I mean, it, it matters for the here and now, for the moment. But for eternity, it is the gospel. It's making Christ known in our day, within our sphere of influence, which matters for all eternity. So as you invest time, talents, and treasure, your investment 1 Corinthians 15, 58, is not in vain in the Lord. There are dividends. There is a harvest that God will bring in. You will reap if you sow. And if you sow abundantly, Galatians 5, you'll reap abundantly. And I will as well. The Ephesian believers weathered this storm and became arguably the most significant church in the first century in the Gentile world. Let's continue until the Lord calls his church home, snatches his church away or takes you home, takes me home. Let's do what he, there's only one requirement in a steward. Only one requirement of how to handle your time, talents, and treasure. And what is that requirement? Faithfulness. 1 Corinthians 4.2. Faithfulness. Be faithful to him. Disseminate the gospel. Make Christ known. Your labor will not be in vain in the Lord. It wasn't in Acts 19. It won't be in vain in 21st century America either. Lord, I'm so thankful.
for this year word. The truth of it, the power of it, the life-changing capacity. And we've experienced that, those of us who know you. You have done a work in our souls for which we're grateful. And we'll be all eternity, for all eternity thanking you, praising you. But Lord, in the meantime, you've still given us breath. You've still given us the capacity to share with neighbors, friends, our doctor, our dentist, our mailman, our, our uh, co-workers, uh, people across the, the back fence and, and the like. Extended family. Lord, burden our hearts. As Paul was burdened, he wanted to rush right in to that theater and proclaim Christ. Might have been the last thing he did in your providence. You withheld uh, that from happening. And so, may we, knowing our labor is not in vain in the Lord, move out of any comfort zone, give time, talents, treasure to make you known in our world in this day. For you are worthy of that type of notoriety through our lives. Bring that to pass, Lord Jesus, in your name.